lost deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the Bible. Hey, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Mirdach. And we are season four. Yes, I think I can count that yeah. high. <laughs> it's, it's not about counting that high. It's like, we've been doing this for a while. Yeah, almost two years now. Yeah. Yeah, so we're recording this in April. June would be two years, so about two months away from two years. So thank you guys for listening to us. And if you can, just do us a small favor. If you're enjoying what you're listening to, let other people know. Yeah, all that standard stuff of like, if you could leave a review or a rating and, and share it, it really does make a big difference. Yeah, it really does. And, and honestly, like, I mean, if you want to leave a review, that's cool and everything, but just share it. I, what we're really trying to do is get the gospel, get God's message out to people. We're trying to do our best through conversation of getting God's word into people's hands and just maybe helping people look and see things not necessarily different, but just more biblical. Yeah, I think as we're looking at two years and, and, and thanking our listeners. I just want to say thank you to you. Over the past two years, you have learned audio engineering. You've edited each and every one of the podcasts. Uh, I just get to show up with whatever I've studied and kind of talk of it. And uh, so thank you. Well, you carry the heavyweight. You're the brains of the operation as far as like... <laughs> Stop setting you, it up like that. He's the scholar. I'm, I'm what you would consider the non-scholar non-scholarly person you've been listening to heiser too much he's a scholar and i'm the layman it's just like comparatively i'm not the scholar i'm not even a layman i'm a lame man wow anyways (laughs) anyways so we're gonna go over the book of joel this season's gonna be a little bit different we started off with timothy uh we didn't kind of format how we were gonna do the season with that those two episodes because it was a me and you study plus kind of what we wanted to get in there from what we learned in timothy and then we had chris brown on and like he just nailed that whole book. It was funny because when we got into his office, he was like, what are we doing again? And I was like, Second Timothy. And he's like, all right, yeah, we'll figure it out. And then he gets on there and just knocks it out of the park with the way he presented it was way different than what we thought we were getting into. Honestly, the way he presented it, I needed to hear that. So yeah. that's what I like about just having conversations with people. It's like, yeah, we're putting on podcasts and we're doing, but also just the fact that we're getting into the Bible and discussing it. I think that as Christians, as people to like, this is life-giving, you know? Yeah. So with this season, we're going to look at kind of two episodes per book, depending on the length of the books, of the forgotten books. We're like today we're doing Joel. So this episode will be more of like the historical study of the book in Joel And then next week, we'll get into kind of what we learned from it and what we got out of some of those chapters. Uh, Really just because if we try to combine these two things, you guys would be sitting and listening to probably a two to three hour conversation, which may not be bad, but I think we would get tired of talking to each other after a while. I'm trying to get out of here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to look into Joel and um, we're going to cover a lot of books. Uh, It's going to be fun. I don't know if I said this with the Timothy episode, but we got like Joel, Habakkuk, Obadiah, Philemon, or Philemon, whichever you want to prefer. Uh, the book of Jude, which is going to get into some great stuff of even taking us into maybe some actual forgotten books that are the people use in reference for the Bible. Get into the Enochic literature. Yes, that's the word. And then going into some of the other ones, and we'll look, I think, Second Peter and everything. But we have a list. It's going to be fun. And really, we want to look at it this way because we want people to know why they're important. 
and what's the history behind it, and then what it actually could mean to you in your own personal life. Yeah, and there's actually a third episode, um, which I don't know if it will release before, after, at before. the same time. You're, so you're probably going to, I think we're doing two at the same time. This one yeah. will come out with it. So if you haven't read the book, I have created an audio recording of the book that you can go listen to because sometimes you're listening to podcasts, you're driving, you're doing whatever, and you could turn on the audio Bible if you wanted to find it. But just to make it easier, we're releasing each book alongside the study part. That way you can get into the scripture and then kind of get from our study aspect of it. That way we're not talking about a bunch of stuff that you might not have ever heard or read before. Right. Yeah, I think that when we talked about that, that we thought that would be a good idea because it is like, wait, I didn't even know this book was in there. So what you guys are getting into a study of something I didn't even read or knew it was in the Bible. So let's read it first and then come in together to look at study and then how it applies yep. or what it means or just a conversation on the book. <laughs> I mean, whatever you want to call the next episode, what we do. So let's get into this one. Whatever's uh, happening. Whatever's happening. <laughs> um, what our goal is for this episode is we want to answer a few questions and hopefully through the conversation and our talk and study back and forth, we'll hit them. Uh, the first one is, uh, what do we know about Joel? What time period was Joel a prophet? What do the locusts represent? And then a follow-up question would be, is where else in the Bible do we see locusts? And then what is the day of the Lord? So that today we'll try to be answering those questions throughout this episode. Yeah, cool. Let's get into it. All right, who's Joel? All right, I'm going to give you the super biblical answer. We have Joel chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. So Joel is the son of Pethuel. <laughs> That's all we got. Th that's really, there's yeah. not too much happening. Like Joel is one of those books. And I know as we're going to get into the book of Obadiah, there's not too much to go on. Whereas a lot of the other prophets will place them in a time period and, you know, whatever's going on. Joel kind of exists a bit outside of that. We don't get his family lineage other than Pethuel, you know, son of Pethuel, but we really don't uh, get to know too much about this guy and what's going on even in the timeline where, where he's located. Yeah, that's what I found out too when I was looking into my studies is that basically you get his name and who his dad was. After that, it's like what time period was he prophesying in? And there's kind of two main ideas. One is either before they were taken to Babylon, before the exile, and the other one is after the exile. Um, and that's the same thing. I think when we kind of get into Obadiah, we'll look at the same kind of concept. And there's reasons for belief in both. Mm -hmm. But I, I would look at from what I studied that Joel was written or he was prophesying in the time after the exile, just from my end of it. Yeah. And I think that as I was looking into the things, it seems like the early date was kind of brought around in the 1800s. Obviously, people have been talking about scripture for a long time, but one of the theologians really brought that out in the mid 1800s, and that became the popular thought. But more coming from recent scholarship and thought, we tend to look at it as after Babylon, after the exile. Kind of makes sense. You're siding with kind of the more contemporary thought of our time. Right. But I think that looking at both of them, because it's not certain, it's one of those things that I leave open to plausibility. Right. Right. So when I was doing like study for it, uh, one commentary I read said that in the book of Joel, uh, he quotes other scripture and he quotes Amos, Isaiah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Ezekiel, Obadiah, Malachi, and Exodus. And some of those books, they do have when they were written, what place they were taken. But then someone said on the flip side of that, that 
those books could be quoting from Joe. Yeah, you yeah. don't know the bidirectionality. Who, who who's quoting from who? who? But what I really enjoyed from that, and what I think, as you study, and this is why I found studying important, and what I enjoyed when, while we were kind of planning this season and doing this part of it, was that you see scripture coming together more neatly, like more woven tight, where people are quoting each other. There's things being said by one prophet that the other prophet's picking up on and saying, yeah, yeah, I get that. And that same thing I'm seeing. So they're saying the same. Yeah. The quotes and allusions and different things like that. I'm sure that you've seen this and maybe we can throw it in the show notes because it's a cool thing. But that visual illustration of how all of the books in the Bible quote each other and that they're tied in and it looks like a crazy rainbow of strings because it's just so interwoven with the illusion and the quotes and the references. You know what I'm talking about? No, I've never seen that. You've got to send it to me. I'm, I'm going to pull it up just so that you know. In podcast land, this will be immediately followed. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you've never seen this. Yeah, I've never seen that. All right, so you're going to trip out on this. So each of those lines is showing, you know, the connection to the other books of the Bible. And there's a few other things that show that as far as graphics-wise. So maybe we can link to this page or, you know, we'll, we'll I don't find know a way of getting it to... I don't know if my initial reaction did get caught on the microphone because I leaned in to look at your screen, but that's nuts. That's crazy. Yeah, it does look like a rainbow. I like how I clicked the magnify and it made it smaller. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, we'll put that on the show notes because I think that'll be beneficial to, for people to see because it does look like we were saying woven, knitted together. And to me, that helps me understand the Bible and even look at it more that God's word is so solid that it's repeated over and over the same throughout all of the scripture. And not not saying that every book quotes every other book, but they're pulling the same sources. They're going from the same places. They're drawing from the same well. Right. But in regard to Joel, when we're saying who's quoting who in which direction, again, if it was that clear cut, we would have a clear cut decision on it. Uh, it actually took me to an interesting place in my study. John Calvin, one of the mm. guys that brought us into the Reformation, he had a quote regarding Joel. As there is no certainty, it is better to leave the time in which he taught undecided. And as we shall see, this is of no great importance. Not to know the time of Hosea would be to readers a great loss, for there are many parts which could not be explained without a knowledge of history. But as to Joel... There is less need of this, for the import of his doctrine is evident, though his time may be obscure and uncertain. So basically, we don't know it, and you don't really need to know it, because when you get in and you study it, it makes, it it stands alone. I kind of feel like uh, it's one of those, if you're watching a series, and you can have a standalone episode, like, you don't really need to know what's going on, because if you watch it, like, the characters all make sense, and it just comes together, you're like, okay, I get the message versus as he was saying with Hosea. I don't know if you... <laughs> I remember I was over at my mother-in-law's house one time, and I've never seen an episode of Lost. And there was an episode on TV, and it was deep in the seasons. And I had no idea. I was like, there's smoke, fog on the island. It's going around. I don't get what's going on. Someone's living in a hole. Is that what this show is about? Like, I was lost watching Lost. So I feel like, yeah, sometimes you definitely need the context. But as we're considering some of these things, like, yeah, we want to get the context right and search to it but there's also joel it's not really needed to get the message yeah because when you look at it uh i did a breakdown and hopefully i'll be able to have these for all the books that we go through there's like a breakdown of the book and you get like joel one through uh or actually joel chapter one in itself is the locust invasion so he talks about this invasion of locusts that comes through and then chapter two one through 17 you get the judgment on god's people from 
there you look at, again, chapter 2, verses 1, I think the rest of the chapter you get comfort for God's people. So you get his judgment in one half of the chapter, and you get comfort in the other. And then uh, by the end of it, chapter 3, you get God's judgment to the nations. So that's like just a nice breakdown. Uh, Really, the first half focuses on the disaster and judgment of Judah, and then the second half focuses on God's restoration of Judah and the judgment of Judah's enemies. So if we were to like summarize the book, that, that's how it would be done. So like you said, do we absolutely need a placement for where Joel is located at? Not necessarily, because you can kind of see what God's doing here. On one end, if it is before Babylon, then there's a judgment for Judah because of what they've done. And on the other end, it would fit either way, yeah, yeah. yeah is what I'm trying to get to. I agree. You agree. <laughs> Glad we're on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So then um, let's talk about the locust. Yeah. Which, okay, Southern California, what's a locust? Like, yeah, right. It's a grasshopper, right? Like, I don't know. I think that I heard my old man talking about it. Like, yeah. We just don't understand generally, at least where we are in Southern California, of what's the big deal about a locust? It's a bug, right? Yeah, it's a terrifying bug when it shows up in scripture like it's very much comes under the pestilence right it's like one of the judgments of god that can move in i really didn't understand what a locust was and like you said big old grasshopper but when you actually see what they can do and kind of how they they just go through the land and just devour everything that's green uh it reminded me we were watching the mummy Remember mm-hmm. the old Brandon Fraser movies and those like little bugs? They weren't uh, locusts. They were kind of like... Um, is it those scarab beetles? Scarab beetles, yes. Yeah. And they would just run over someone and just all that's left was the bone oh, at the yeah, end yeah, of it. Yeah. Basically. Basically, yeah. yeah. So that was my understanding once I saw that. I was like, oh, yeah, like a locust. But, and, but within that, so right, we're looking at these locusts and, and our... Mo- I don't want to say modern because there are modern farmers who deal with this stuff, right? So I'm not trying to exclude that, but from a lot of us city folk or people who are detached from the agricultural dependence that we as a species have is that if locusts come through, they destroy this year's crops, which is a very bad thing because what are you going to eat? But then because they devour things so completely, it screws you up for what are you planting next year? And like just the year upon year compounding effect of what locusts moving in has on your community and on your people, like it's no small thing. Like we look at, oh no, like isn't just the, isn't the big rig going to just come down full of food and bring us the food and they'll stock up the local (laughs) grocery store and we have food. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, think about these, these people here. They don't have another option. There is no truck coming in with food. It's like, what are you going to do? This is a devastating experience. Yeah, and more with the devastating experience is that um, looking at it so we could have the understanding of an actual bug-like thing devastating the land. But I've also, uh, when I looked into some of it, people were talking about like an army, Mm -hmm. an invading army. So this is why some people categorized that Joel was written after the exile, saying that he was remembering when the Babylonians came in and swarmed in on the land. Right, and I think that you can get that from Joel 1.6, saying, For a nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. Its teeth are the teeth of a lion, and its fangs are the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my grapevine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off the bark and thrown it away. The branches have turned white. Definitely he's 
they know what a real locust invasion mm-hmm. is, but when he's pulling this in, he's definitely talking about another nation moving in. Yeah, an army. And I even look at the, with the verse four, what the locust swarm has left, the great locust has eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Almost like this uh, military ranking of like one brigade went in and then the next one went in and then the next one. And whatever the one didn't get, the one behind it came and captured. Seeing it as an, an army kind of invading in another nation attacking them. Yeah, I think that that can come into, man, studying through this stuff. I think that this is where we can get the message of the thing. But when we do get into some of the details, it's, it's hard when there's some ambiguity because well, we're looking at it from both ways is that an actual locust invasion coming in and then this nation coming in. And is this part talking about actual locusts or is it alluding to the nation coming in? Mm-hmm. And I think that it's scripture is meant to be meditated on. It's meant to be chewed on. Some of the stuff that's ambiguous is in Jewish scriptures, you're meant to ask questions of it. You know what I mean? You're supposed to think about it and keep thinking about it and kind of draw some of these conclusions, right? And I think in some of those areas, you don't want to get too far outside of. Like if you were to stand up and just like, no, this is definitely, there's no other trend, like meaning behind it. Uh, you're being a little bit too firm on that point. But to be able to go, see how this is alluding to it and what's happening there, it's like, ah, yeah, I get where you're coming from. And I know that you probably know that, but I need to be reminded of that sometimes because sometimes I don't give myself the allowance to kind of go outside of the box a bit because, man, I want to be true to scripture. But then other times it's like when you see how even the New Testament writers will use Old Testament scripture and then you go back and you read that scripture, it's like, that's not what that was saying. It's like, no, but you can, you can use scripture to make (laughs) like points. You just need to be careful and judicious and and handle it rightly as we were learning in 2 Timothy. Exactly. I want to touch more on that when we come back from the break. All right. Question. Have you ever heard your Christian friend say something like, I'm praying for traveling mercies, or you just need a hedge of protection around you? If so, did you have any clue what they were saying? Well, thankfully, with the new Christian Translator app, you'll never experience this kind of confusion again. The Christian Translator app takes words or phrases said by your Christian friends and puts them into everyday normal language. For example, if your Christian friend says something like, we have to declare a holy fast, the Christian Translator app would translate for you, this means without eating food. Or how about when your Christian friend says, you need to rend your heart. The Christian Translator app will let you know they simply mean being deeply sorry. Don't understand what the day of the Lord means? Well, the Christian Translator app has you covered. Download the app today and never be confused by what your Christian friends are saying again. The Christian Translator app, helping you understand the language of the saints. So like you were saying with the locusts, the thing that I'm catching here too is even when we get into like chapter two, is that there's an army of locusts but now this army seems to be God's army of locusts or God soldiers, kind of like we're talking about. It could have been military or... Right. Yeah. So now it's like God's army invading in. And uh, just to touch again briefly on it, and then we'll move on to like where else have we seen locusts? Because I think both are important of understanding where we've seen locusts and this image of locusts and what they represent. Is that uh, like Joe, he just looks at it and he sees how frail humanity is and that we really, really need God 
And that's kind of that first half is that it's chaotic. An army had just come through and just wiped out. And that's the chaos of the world. But then we see a glimpse also that Joel gives us of what it will be like when God's heavenly army invades the world and brings it in order and peace. And then it's, it's kind of like this idea that it gets grim before it gets better because the evil that pervades much of humanity has to be removed. And so we're looking at this locust thing. And all of this is like, okay, like you said before we got into it, we today are like, in Southern California, guys, what the heck is a locust? But these people knew a tradition and a story that was passed on from generation to generation of a locust that attacked their enemy in Egypt and wiped out the land. And for them, that was something that they was remembered, and it stuck into their heads. So when Joel's now writing and saying the locusts are coming, it's something that they knew. I was studying into it, and I know when you're talking about other places where locusts are, it's the imagery that is represented on both sides to where it is the coming in consuming power. And we were talking about it during the break that I know that I was like, hey, there's actual real locusts and it's something that they would be highly familiar with because of the fact that, man, God's calling them to repent right here and often coming in times of judgment and looking at stuff is the pestilence of locusts coming and eating. So it's like they've seen how you were saying the locusts coming as a judgment against the Egyptians, but they've also witnessed it coming <laughs> against their own nation, yeah. you know what I mean? So the imagery of just God being in control of sending the locusts, so to speak, and then as that comes into how you're saying the army of, meaning not the, the actual bugs, but how he uses people. Yeah, and even if we get into like, revelation where they talk about a locust coming in and there and so it's spread out throughout the bible again like you're saying this idea of a locust coming in and invading because on both ends i really like what you said is consuming Mm -hmm. like a locust is a consuming monster it just consumes 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 until all is gone when you look at exodus like we did in last season with pharaoh in the villain season uh, part of that plague in itself was like it left the land with no green, like nothing, Mm -hmm. absolutely no green vegetation, anything, any side of it. During our road trip last year, we drove through uh, Arizona, New Mexico. And when you talk about no green, like I could get that visualization Mm -hmm. driving through those lands because that's just straight up desert. Then you hit like uh, the upper part of Texas and Oklahoma and it started getting green, beautiful, Arkansas green and beautiful. But driving through that stretch, it just looks so much like a wasteland. And I know it's a beautiful state and there's nice things in there, but off that highway road, that's what it kind of just looked like. And in that, you expect Arizona and New Mexico to look like that. What you don't expect is what should be lush agricultural land or look like a way to end up looking like Arizona or New Mexico, you know, which is even more devastating. Because one thing to get the imagery of just like, oh, man, I went from a place that looked like this into a place that looked like this was another thing to be like, this shouldn't be this way. Right. So that's why I think Joel purposely using imagery Mm -hmm. to describe the invading army coming to judge uh, Judah and then God's army coming on the other end to judge the nations. Using that imagery was, was uh, there was reason behind it. Yeah, and even looking at that, just because you're talking about like lushness and then wasteland, uh, Joel 2 verse 3 says, Before them a fire devours, and behind them a flame scorches. The land before them is like the Garden of Eden, but behind them it is like a desert wasteland. Surely nothing will escape them. 
Right, so just coming in like Garden of Eden, that's paradise. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, this thing is coming through, and by the time it plows through, Garden of Eden looks like a wasteland. Yeah, yeah. So I think they, the people reading or hearing Joel, got the imagery, got the understanding. And I, I keep saying they because we need to get our context, not from our understanding today. That's why, again, I like that you brought up. We don't know what a locust really is. Least, there's lots of people yeah. probably even who can listen to this we know we have listenership all, all around who but. do know but like for us <laughs> yeah. like for me like if i'm reading it through my lens yeah, i need to be honest with myself mm-hmm. yeah and i need to look at the bible through the context of which it's written and to who it's written mm-hmm. um so now let's get into this last one the day of the lord yeah day of the lord and this is an interesting theme and you brought it out as we started looking at the forgotten books that we're covering during this series is that there is a common theme especially throughout the Old Testament books that we're going to be touching, is this day of the Lord. So it's something, and I just think that that's so intriguing, that day of the Lord is a huge thing. Like, theologically understanding, coming from God to human understanding, like all this stuff, day of the Lord, super important. And it's just so intriguing to me that kind of as a people, we're not reading those books that talk about it. And it's mm. like that we've forgotten about the day of the Lord. And when we get into studying what the day of the Lord is, what are the implications of forgetting about it? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's uh, definitely something to look at. And as we're looking at it, though, because I know that we're going to be studying these books more, looking at the day of the Lord, I almost don't want to say too much from my opinion now because I want to understand it better before I talk on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm fine talking with you about it now and kind of like hammering out some stuff and seeing, but I know that I want to be more comfortable. And I think that from doing these studies, like, I want to touch back on the day of the Lord. Maybe we can do it in each of them and kind of just see the well, progression. I, I think almost in every book, there is either a verse or a uh, something that says the day of the Lord, right? So that that was the interesting part that hit me as we were putting this together because it is, like you said, the short ones, and the short ones aren't the red ones. They're the ones that are forgotten and left behind. And yeah, what is this concept of the day of the Lord? And and for those listening, you're probably going to go through this journey with us as we get into it more of today, here's what we're going to talk about it. And then by the last episode, you know, it might have a, a different understanding or you're just going to see the evolution of how we understood it. But like going through some of the books we're going to touch on is Second Peter, and Second Peter has but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heaven will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So most people put that together with like almost a rapture or end of times mm-hmm. verse mm-hmm. texture. The, the thief in the night was an old, old rapture video that I've referenced so yes. many times on this podcast. <laughs> you could actually tell the trauma that it caused me in my own life because of watching this video and not even understanding really the end of times meaning, but that it was a thief in the night and everyone kind of goes to that and uses this second Peter that it will come like a thief in the night. You won't know when it will happen, what will happen. Um, but the day of the Lord is usually thrown in with that idea of end of times. End of times. And I think to speak more generally than that, a day of judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that I can speak pretty confidently at this point that day of the Lord has to do with judging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? For it, for him to move in and judging unrighteousness, judging wickedness, right? We know through scripture and especially uh, with us being on this side of the cross is our understanding of God. And it's not just through Jesus calling him the father and us knowing that Jesus is the visible 
image of the invisible God so we can see who the Father is by seeing Jesus, right? We know how gracious God is. He has always been that way. There's all kinds of scriptures talking about the loving kindness of God, that he's slow to anger, right? But that he's also righteous and that he won't be patient forever. He's patient to give a chance for repentance, that people will turn from these things. That's even where he sends prophets. That's where he sends Joel. As we look at this, the book of Joel has so much about a call to repentance. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, chapter 1, verse 13, Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. Right, and it just goes on and on, like calling to repentance. Picks back up with that in chapter 2, right? And just really looking at this need for repentance, because that's what a prophet does. Says, hey, you need to turn away from wickedness because God's judgment is coming. And the day of the Lord is an elevated, standalone experience Mm -hmm. of what that judgment is. I'm glad you brought that up, too, because the fact that he, uh, when the call to repentance comes in, he says, to you, old priests, he doesn't say to you, old kings, is where some people lean more towards that it's after Babylon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the the after Babylon is, there's more of a priestly reign, and where before it was the king, kingly reign. But looking at that same chapter, or chapter one, you have uh, verse 15, Alas, for that day, for the day of the Lord is near, it will come like destruction from the Lord Almighty. And then in chapter 2, you have uh, the day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? And something we'll touch more on uh, next week. But then you have chapter 2, verses 28 through the end of the chapter that talks about the day of the Lord. And I will, afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all the people. And this is kind of going to like Acts chapter 2, kind of where, where I think Peter mm-hmm. uses the book of Joel and quotes it in Acts chapter 2. But I, I like what you said. It's more of a day of judgment because you can see throughout Scripture there are days of judgment. There are days of judgment. The birth of Christ is the day of the Lord because there was a day of judgment the yeah, day he was born. Yeah. The death was a day of judgment. That's the day of the Lord and so forth. And you can see it throughout Scripture. Whenever the judgment was referred to, you can look at it as being the day of the Lord. And that's where looking at this and, and really growing in my understanding of it because you see Second Peter which is obviously after Jesus, right? And he's referencing a future day of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I'm with you because from the study that I have done, Jesus entering into this realm and his death on the cross and the resurrection, so much of that speaks of day of the Lord and everything that happens there. And even the judgment that was proclaimed in the spiritual realm, because we're not alone in this creation, right? It's not just... uh, humans into the physicality there's spiritual beings as well and just looking at that aspect of it and just the judgment that happened jesus here but then you get here in joel to where joel chapter 2 as you were saying let all who dwell in the land tremble for the day of the lord is coming indeed it is near so it's like you have joel saying it's near Mm -hmm. but then you see how it shows up through jesus but then you still have peter after jesus talking about a future day of the lord right and this is where when, when you first brought it up i was like to you and this was in our text, if you remember, like, to you, what is the day of the Lord? Because a lot of people only put it to that future thing. Yeah. So it's like, is it that future only one event? Is it something that references any day of judgment to where God's patience has run out and these people are going to experience the day of, the, like, you know what I mean? And I probably sound too unsure. I do have opinions on it. <laughs> I'm just bringing up questions that maybe for us to explore as we study or for people to be thinking about as they're hearing this, that 
it's something to study out. And it's very important. <laughs> very mm-hmm. important. I think it's important to not, like you were saying earlier, to not track on just one thing and then get stuck on it. Mm-hmm. So the day of the Lord is only tied to rapture, end times, whatever philosophy you have on that. Because you're right. How can the day of the Lord be near in Joel and then Jesus' birth? I mean, he is our Lord. So obviously the day he is here has to be the day of the Lord, right? And then how can Peter then follow up with, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, meaning it hasn't come. Mm -hmm. I would look at it at this point today, like you were saying, that there are days of the Lord where things happened, a judgment happened. And the day of the Lord really does come down to the idea and the concept of the removal of sin, wickedness of this earth. Right. So that's where the thing about Jesus is just like, depending on your reading, and I have a very strong reading of what happened on the cross and that the covenant that got poured out by his blood and the Holy Spirit coming, which I do want to touch on that in Joel, like you've referenced it and like, I want to talk about that. But that's where the eradication of sin started happening. Mm-hmm. There was the judgment on it, and then the eradication of it. Like, you know what I mean? To where it began. Mm-hmm. But God's timing also, when he says that something is near. <laughs> like, we've been talking about the book of Revelation a lot, and this will happen soon. It's like, what is soon? <laughs> yeah, what is soon? It, you even get caught up with, like, a, uh, the verse of, to the Lord a day is like a thousand years. I mean, you could even put it to like, if you want to do the equation, like that could just be a thousand years of something happening or whatever, but that's also crazy. But within this, I know that as a, as an intro in this, right, that's where I wanted to talk about these things to kind of, because I know we're going to be revisiting it, bring up these questions to think about. But I do think that there are answers to these things. I know that I have my opinions and mm-hmm. my readings of what I believe to be true and I think that it's good for us to ask questions, for us to be able to explore, but not to get distracted by that or fall into a thing of like, well, we can't really understand anything or there's just too many possible, like, right? It's, that's not the point of asking questions. Point of asking questions is, why are you asking the question? What are you seeking for? And then really moving into that and not to just give up, right? Me bringing up all these questions, like we will, I will be going through this journey to get there. It's not just like, Oh, well, based on this, there's just a ton of questions and nobody can know. The purpose is to, to study. Yeah. And I think that's what we're trying to just get to the idea that with even these books, study, do some time, put some effort into it, because without it, you're just kind of glancing over something without real context. And even with the things that we're talking about, this episode is probably like 45 minutes to an mm-hmm. hour, whatever it is. We haven't really gotten into like the meat of each chapter. Mm-hmm. And like we're talking about different aspects of it. But man, there's, there's stuff in here, the way that it talks about judging the nations, the blessings and the restoration, there's so much in study. But c- can we go to the pouring out of the Spirit? Can oh, we go there? Yeah. Cool. So this is Joel 2, 28, saying, And afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my men servants and maidservants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the, day, on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance as the Lord has promised among the remnant called by the Lord. So I want to read that whole section because oftentimes we look at that pouring out the spirit and we go, oh yeah, pouring out the spirit. That was Jesus, right? And he poured out the spirit and that's amazing. And then, but you keep reading and 
immediately tied with that is wonders of blood and fire and columns of smoke and the sun turned to darkness, moon to blood before the coming and great and awesome day of the Lord. So I was like, well, part of that I'm for sure happened. Did this other part of it happen? How do we understand this day of the Lord? I think it's a good place to leave everyone on on a cliffhanger so that we could get into it when we look into it for next week. Before we do, day of the Lord, it keeps coming around to that because obviously it's there, but just pouring out the spirit. This is one of the places, and in Ezekiel as well, that when we get the new covenant that Jesus was bringing in, that's where Joel, for as much as it talks about the day of the Lord, and that's important, this prophecy right here about the pouring out of God's spirit on all people, right? It's not like what we see in the Old Testament. The prophet was anointed or the king was anointed or someone like Samson that we've covered Mm -hmm. that like the Holy Spirit coming upon somebody, but that this would be on all people. And what we learn even when we get into the New Testament times is inside of us. So Joel, super important for the day of the Lord aspect, but for this prophecy to really laying out, laying those nuggets for what God was planning to do. And someone like Joel and people in his time looking forward to this thing, that we're living in it. We get to enter into this relationship with God to where we can receive his spirit. We're all born into a different time. And obviously Joel was going through this thing. And what a time of looking at judgment. And I can look at this time of, man, we kind of live pretty sinful as a people. And like, it's God's judgment. (laughs) We can look at pestilence and disease and wars and different stuff and go, how does that look for, for our society? But we're also living in the promised time of the Spirit, which I think is just the riches of that. I don't think I can, I fully understand mm-hmm. even being a part of it. When you're looking at someone who wrote the day of the Lord and prophesying about a future time when the Spirit will, be, will fill people and it would be on you, like that was something he looked forward to. And now we're living in a time where that is a promise fulfilled. Right, So that's where it's like Joel is here saying, here's the promise. And then once you accept and have a relationship with Christ and you walk into that, promise fulfilled, the Spirit of the Lord is now on you to mm-hmm. help and guide you as you move on through your life. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to look at from that point of view and that perspective, all this and what it means. We're at just such a privileged time mm-hmm. and point that we can know God in this way. In the depths of what we know. When, when you even look at it in, gosh, slightly a tangent, then we'll wrap up. Um, when you even look... <laughs> I knew I could get you back into this. <laughs> even when you look at the, the New Testament writers, their scripture was the Old Testament writings. But then if we're looking at Joel, let's say we'll, we'll, we'll throw a date on there. This was after Babylon. And he's quoting Amos, Isaiah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Ezekiel, and so forth. Mm-hmm. His writings are then from their words, right? So it's just this reaction of that they didn't have what we have the completeness of scripture in front of us. And even in, as generations before us may have just had words written in, in a wording that was really hard to gather and understand, like a new or a King James, not a new King James, where it's thee, thou, and all this other thing. Basically, you're trying to read uh, Shakespeare. And then it getting morphed into a language that we understand that we have, that it is even broken down into more common terms and common language. And yeah, maybe through that, it's taking away some of the substance of what's really there and what's going on. But we now live in a privileged land where I could open up my computer, log on to a place and have resources available for me, for people to break down what I'm looking at and what I'm trying to get. They didn't have that. We have that. 
like it's there. Resources are there for us. So for us to not fully grasp or understand what God's going and where he's leading, it, it, it's a shame that we don't put as much time and study when we have so much mm-hmm. to grab. And where these guys, it was just, it was like a locus in their life. It consumed them that they wanted to put an effort to know who God was. Yeah. Do you have any uh, other closing thoughts? I think that everything you said was good. I have no, a couple th- things, but I don't know. Th- that'll be it for me. It's a thing of, of reading back is that, man, they were going through an actual physical experience, whether the locusts or the armies or both and all of that going through. And for us to read it, not to over-spiritualize things, but for us today to go back and read it, I think that it's important that as you go back and read it to see why was judgment coming upon them? What was God looking for? Where is my heart mm. at in regard to how am, am I in that place of repentance? Can I see myself in any of those judgments? Like, what am I going to do with that, right? Because I need to do something with that. This isn't a prophecy that he's telling us, right? As far as just like, hey, living in America, you got to watch out for the Edomites. (laughs) It doesn't hit that way. But we read it to see God's character and how we should respond, especially in light of the cross. But for everything that gets talked about with repentance, everything that gets talked about with judging of God's people and of the nations, I want to end out this episode with chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, which is the the end of the book there. After all of this, then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. Jerusalem will be holy, never again to be overrun by foreigners. And in that day, the mountains will drip with sweet wine, and the hills will flow with milk. All the streams of Judah will run with water, and a spring will flow from the house of the Lord to water the valley of Acacias. Egypt will become desolate and Edom a desert wasteland because of the violence done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. But Judah will be inhabited forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation, for I will avenge their blood which I have not yet avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion." then you'll know that the Lord your God dwells on the holy mountain and that he rules and that he will avenge the innocent. And that those places that were committing violence, he will have vengeance and he will avenge, right? So I just really look at that and go, I can trust God. I can look at where I need to repent, but I can trust that he has these things under his control. That God's sovereignty is guiding what's happening in world's history. Mm-hmm, exactly. If we don't wrap this one up. There's a lot to jump into what you just talked about, but I'll save that for next week uh, when we get into what this actually means to us. So I'm Chris. I'm Yurdlif. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. Habakkuk. Nahum. Obadiah. Jude. Philemon. Haggai. Amos.